Amen. Buenos dias, familia. It's good to be with you today. If you are like me, you probably woke up today and tried to find a shirt that had a little extra space, right? Because of all those uh, extra pounds we got through the uh, Thanksgiving Day feast that uh, most of us probably had. Uh, this year, Yadira and I hosted our families, and uh, your boy here got a little ambitious and decided to make not one, not two, but three turkeys. Uh, not because we had a big army to feed, but because I bought some turkeys that were cheap and they're big, and so I said, you know what, I can knock these out. I will make three turkeys. So I brined them for about a day and a half, Got online, did all the research on how to make sure that I didn't overcook them because I was going to fry one. Uh, got my grandma's recipe of a turkey she's made for many years. And so I said, you know, I, I'm going to do it and make it this year. And uh, had everything ready. Spent the day preparing on Thursday for that. And um, put my first turkey into the oven. That one turned out somewhat okay. It was my grandma's recipe. I had some help with that. And then began to fry my first turkey. And... Uh, it was not frozen, so it didn't explode, if that's what you're thinking. I took the, the necessary precautions for that. But I said, you know what? I want to make sure that I have a nice crispy skin on the outside, but I don't want to be burnt. So got some tips online about what temperature to put it in, put it in at that temperature, let it raise, and uh, let it cook for the right amount of time. Pulled it out, took the temp. It looked like it was well done. So when it was time to eat, I cut up the turkey. Turkey breast looks great. Then I cut it into the bottom of the turkey, and it was still a little pink. And I thought, oh, goodness, all this time preparing, and this turkey's undercooked. Well, you know what? Let me put it back in, finish cooking it. And I said, the third turkey, this will not happen. I will make sure I have the right temperature. Put the third turkey in to fry. I pulled it out, and it was black because I overcooked that turkey in hopes of avoiding the first error. Uh, fortunately, the insides tasted good. Thanksgiving was fine. We had enough sides, and turkey was actually decent. It just not aesthetically pleasing, but um, it was okay. And why do I tell you this story? Because I had done all this research and prepared for a couple of days to make these turkeys for my family, for us to enjoy Thanksgiving together. And at the end of it all, I was uh, very disappointed uh, in the tips that I got, but probably more so in my abilities to try to multitask and cook many turkeys. As we enter this season of Christmas, we play songs like it's the most wonderful time of the year. And as we journey toward Christmas Eve, I have one guarantee for you in these next few weeks. And that guarantee is this you will face disappointment. Debbie Downer here, right? You will face disappointment as we journey toward Christmas. But let me suggest to you that that's okay, that disappointment is actually our friend in this season. And the reason disappointment is our friend in this season is because as we end a year where we were hoping the pandemic will be over and it's not, as we end a year where maybe you face loss uh, of a, a loved one, where maybe you've gotten sick yourself with the uh, COVID that's gone around, or maybe with other sicknesses that have also attacked our bodies, where maybe you've lost work, have lost uh, money, have lost many things. We end the year possibly in this disappointment. And 
in our society, we work to avoid this disappointment. We want to be happy. We take this sociological approach of surviving and pleasure and those two things being what drives us. And yet scripture and the word would tell us that there's something greater for us than simply survival and pleasure. And that is this, Jesus. Jesus is our greatest hope. So the two things that I want you to leave with here today is this. Jesus is your hope and disappointment is your friend. Let me say that again to you. Jesus is your hope and disappointment is your friend. I, like you, this year have lost loved ones. I've lost friendships. I've lost work. I've lost a lot of things that I placed hope upon. And what I've realized as I look at the things that I've lost this year By God's grace, he's been showing me what he actually has given me in the place of the things that I lost. And it hasn't been he's given me many new friends. He hasn't given me many new things. He hasn't given me a lot of more money. No, what he's given me is the revelation that Jesus is my hope and that he is enough. Jesus is all that I need in this season. And in order for us to journey to the manger... In order for us to really get to a place of celebration, we have to journey through what we here have been talking about for the last few minutes. That is this Advent season. Advent is simply Latin and means coming or anticipation of arrival. It's it's this idea that the Old Testament people of God waited for this Messiah that was promised to come and be born in a manger. And so we join them in this season. And the invitation of Advent for us is this, that we would slow down, that we would wait and that we would prepare our hearts, that we wouldn't rush to Christmas to celebrate and open gifts, but that from here to Christmas Eve, that we would slow down, that we would wait, and that we would prepare our hearts to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. You see, if we don't prepare our hearts, the celebration will not be as big as it is meant to be because we will not recognize the great value and the great hope that Jesus brings to us when he is born. And so we start off here in Romans 15. If you have your Bibles, you can open it up. And I just want to read for you verse 4 just to give a little context for us. Paul here is talking to the church. He is telling the Jews and the Gentiles to get along, that Jesus is our example. He points to Scripture. And in verse 4 of chapter 15, he says, For what was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of scriptures, we might find, we might have hope. Let me read that for us one more time. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of scripture, we might have hope. As we journey with disappointment as our friend in this season, how will we find hope? In Jesus. What does it mean to have hope in Jesus? Paul tells us here that in order for us to understand this, we have to look back. And we have to look way back. And I want to take us back to the Garden of Eden. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he created all these good things. And he created Adam and then he created Eve. And he put them in the garden to rule. And he told them to be fruitful and multiply. And they, uh, they roamed and, and subdued the earth in the Garden of Eden. But we have this character that enters that picture. This character is the serpent. And he's conniving. And he gives these false hopes, these false promises to Eve and says, Did God tell you not to eat of this fruit? Surely he didn't mean you will die. In fact, if you eat of this fruit, you will be like God. You will know good and evil. 
And Eve said, man, that sounds pretty good to me. Takes the fruit and eats it. And then gives, hands it over to Adam. And Adam says, cool, I'll take a little bit of that fruit too. And they eat of this fruit. And what happens? Sin enters the world because of disobedience. They break relationship with God the moment they disobeyed and ate of this fruit. And so God comes to them and he has to take them out of this perfect state of the Garden of Eden. And he says, you've sinned. I have to take you out. I told you you would die. And he gives some curses. And one of the curses he gives is in chapter 3, verse 15. He gives it to the serpent. And he says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and, the, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. If you've ever heard me preach, you know there are two words that I love to use in talking about the Bible. One is the meta-narrative, which is simply this big picture of what God is doing from start to the end. This meta-narrative, this big picture that he is painting. And two is this promise of Genesis 3.15, the Proto-Evangelion. Say that with me. Proto-Evangelion. All right. You know a little Greek now. And what that means is simply this. It is the prototype. It is the promise of the Messiah. It is the promise of a Savior. He says there will be an offspring that will crush the head of the serpent, even amidst uh, sin, even amidst disobedience. God does not abandon his people. He does not abandon his creation. In fact, he says, I will promise an offspring that will crush the head of the serpent. Now, he doesn't give a time. He doesn't give a name. He doesn't give the method. He doesn't give the strategy. He simply says, this is a promise that I am making amidst these curses. He promises a messianic salvation. And what we find in verse 1 of chapter 4 is Eve gives birth to Cain. And she says, I have gotten man with the help of the Lord. That is a pretty rough translation because the Hebrew there is kind of hard to translate. Some may look at it, uh, some translate it as Eve saying, I have gotten man, Yahweh. It is possible that she literally thought she had given birth to the Messiah. And there's this mystery that God gives and this promise that we don't really understand, but yet we begin to hope in and we begin to pursue. And Eve thinks it might be Cain, or at least that through Cain, this Messiah will come. But it's not Cain. And then comes Noah. People think it may be Noah. It's not Noah. Comes Moses. It's not Moses. Come David. It's not David. And we have all these figures in the Old Testament that point to the Messiah that's to come, that foreshadow the Messiah that's to come, that's to come, that give us, gives us hope in this Messiah that's to come. But they all fall incredibly short of the promised Messiah because they are not the Messiah. But God begins to reveal his plan to his people. And Paul tells us we must look back to understand our present, to hope for the future. We must look back to understand the present, to hope for the future. And so it wasn't Cain, Noah, Moses, or David, but we see in the prophets this continued promise of the Messiah. There are two words in the Old Testament that are used for hope. One of the words is yakal, which simply means to wait or be patient. I don't know about you, but when I think about hoping, uh, sometimes I think about it like optimism, like it's going to work out, things will be okay. And yet, in the Old Testament scripture, we see that hoping is to wait and to be patient. It is the word that Job uses when he says, though he slays me, I will hope in him. It is the word that the psalmist uses in 71 where he says, but I will hope continually 
and I will praise you yet more and more, that despite our circumstance, despite what we may be going through, that we would wait and that we would be patient. See, the Old Testament family of ours, the Old Testament people of God, they waited for God for more than simply relief of their circumstance. They, tra they traversed many, many things as the people of God, but their greatest hope wasn't the, that God would simply take them out of that circumstance. Their greatest hope was that they would be able to wait and be patient on the Lord. The second word we find is tikvah, which is this idea of accord or attachment. It's this idea that is rooted in expecting and to look eagerly. It's the word we find in a verse that many of us probably have in our homes, Jeremiah 29, 11. And let me give you a little context for that verse. Verse 10 starts off with, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope and a tikvah. See, we like to go to verse 11, but we forget verse 10. He says, after 70 years of captivity, after 70 years of being prisoners, after 70 years of being in exile, I have plans for you. I will make good on my promises. We can look to his word and to his works to trust that he will be faithful to fulfill his promise to save his people. And I want you to go with me to Zechariah, Zechariah 9.12, the second to last book in the Old Testament. In another prophecy of the coming king that will save his people, Zechariah points to the future, and he talks to a people that are in, that are prisoners, that are enslaved. And in verse 12, he gives them this promise. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. As Zechariah promises a future king that will save his people, he calls them prisoners of hope. What a beautiful picture that even though they were prisoners, they were not left alone or abandoned or forgotten. In fact, they were prisoners, not just prisoners, they were prisoners with hope. What if you and I, as we journey toward the manger in this Advent season, saw ourselves not as people who are hopeless, not as people who simply go from disappointment to disappointment, but as people who are prisoners of hope? Prisoners of hope that by this cord we are attached to Christ, that even though there's tension, even though there's circumstances that are difficult, even though we have many disappointments in life, that we are actually attached to the greatest hope, and that is Jesus. You see, what disappointment allows us to do is to see where we've maybe misplaced our hope where maybe we've taken things that are good and made them ultimate and removed our hope from Jesus to the hope of the things of this world. You see, misplaced hope disappoints because it's not sourced or it's not sourced in God. Misplaced hope disappoints because its source and object is not God. So what does misplaced hope look like? Romans 8, 24 and 25 tells us this. Let me read it to you. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We don't hope for what we see, right? You don't hope for a husband or a wife. If you already have a husband or a wife, that would be silly. 
You don't hope for food when you have food before you. See, this text tells us we don't hope for the things we already have. We hope for that for which we cannot see, for this mystery that is yet to be revealed, for this thing that God has promised for us, for our salvation. But many of us at times journey in our humanity and in this flesh, misplacing our hope. And this misplaced hope looks like this. We, instead of being prisoners of hope, become prisoners of idols. We become prisoners of things that Aaron talked to us about a few weeks ago, these four rude idols of power. We become prisoners of power, longing for influence and recognition, and we'll do everything in our capacity to have this recognition and influence. Or maybe we struggle with being prisoners of control. We have a longing to have everything go according to my plan. As my family was with us over the, uh, the, the last few days, I realized that I wrestled being a prisoner of control. Why? Because I have my pantry set up a certain way, my drawers set up a certain way, my cupboards set up a certain way, and my family and their good desire to help me out, wash dishes, put everything up, and I wake up the next morning to look for things and I can't find my plates. I can't find my spoons. I can't find the pumpkin seeds. I can't find the things that I need because they were trying to help me and they did, but not the way I wanted them to help me, right? I had an issue with control and surrendering that. Or maybe it's we're prisoners of comfort. We long for pleasure. We're designed for this in the suburbs with bigger homes and bigger backyards and bigger salaries and nicer cars. We long for pleasure, or maybe we are prisoners of approval. We have a longing to be accepted or desired, and we do everything in preparation for people to be in awe of us. But this is misplaced hope because as we hope for these things, they will disappoint. Even if we acquire them, they will disappoint us because they are not our ultimate hope. And so our invitation in this Advent season as we place our hope on Jesus is to submit if we are pursuing power to submit to his greater power that is within us. That if we are wrestling as prisoners of control to surrender to his ultimate control. That if we are prisoners to comfort that we would remember he is our greatest comfort. That if we are prisoners to approval that we would rejoice in his gracious approval not because of what we have done but because of the finished work of Christ on the cross. But maybe you don't wrestle with these things. I'd say that might be a lie, but maybe you're not looking at yourself deeply enough. Maybe you're a prisoner of relief. Maybe your prayer looks more like this. Jesus, I need you to fill in the blank. Help me. I need you to give me a job. I need you to help my family act better and put things in the right place. Whatever it is you're filling the blank in with, I need Jesus, I need you to what we're really pursuing in that is relief. We want Jesus to take care of our problems and to get us uh, out of whatever issue it is we have. Or maybe you're a prisoner of hopelessness. Maybe this year has really beat you up and you feel tired and you feel like, what's the point? I've cried out to God and he's not listened to me. I've gone through some really hard things and I've prayed and I've done the right thing and God has not answered me. Maybe you are waiting for the semester to be over because you don't want to teach anymore or your kids don't pay attention enough. And so you're ready to just bounce from that job because you are hopeless that things will change. Well, I have good news for all of us because we all fall into one of these categories in this time. And it is this, that disappointment is an invitation to reorient our hope, especially in this Advent season. 
Disappointment in, by this misplaced hope is an invitation to reorient our hope onto Jesus. For you see, all these uh, misplaced hopes will lead us to disappointment. But if we take disappointment as our friend, as an acknowledgement that we've not placed our hope on Jesus, then we can turn to our true hope, which is Jesus. Paul continues in Romans 15, verse 12. And again, I say, and again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. What are you hoping for in this season? What are you expecting in this season? As we journey and finish out this year, what are you truly hoping for? What are you truly wanting out of this season? Paul says that Jesus, in him will the Gentiles hope. In him will the Gentiles hope. The first thing that I see Paul point out for us in this text is that Jesus is the object of our hope and the source of our hope. Jesus and Jesus alone is the object and the source of our hope. This concept of hope continues into the New Testament. In 1 Peter 1, 3, he says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Anytime we misplace our hope, we find disappointment. But when we come to Christ, he says that we are given a living hope. That is Jesus Christ himself. He, is given, he gives us a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is the great news that you and I have to hold on to in this season. As we face disappointments, it's not that these circumstances will go away, but that we have a greater hope that even if they don't go away, Jesus is enough. Jesus has come to save you and to save me. He has made good on his promise from Old Testament to New Testament to the future that he's renewing all things, even us. And one day he will return. One day he will come back and wipe away every tear heal all of, our, all of our sicknesses, take away every sin. And that day we look forward to with great hope because Jesus will fulfill that in us and in his plan. And so Jesus is the object, object of our hope and the source of our hope. The second thing we see here, he says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Joy to the world we sing, peace and, and all these beautiful words that we talk about Jesus, but the only place we find true joy and true peace is in believing. The next thing Paul tells us that hope is an expression of faith. Hope is an expression of faith. Let me read this to you, Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. That's crazy, Paul. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces what? Hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Another translation says, hope does not disappoint. You see, Paul tells us in Romans that it's not the absence of suffering that brings hope to us. No, even if those sufferings are not removed, we can still hope because the hope that we have is based on the faith that we have in Jesus, in the work that he is doing, in the fact that he is saving the world and that he has come to save the world. 
So hope does not put us to shame. But when we have disappointment, our companion, what it helps us see is really where we have disbelief, where we really don't believe that Jesus is enough, where we have a hard time believing that Jesus is actually enough. And so we place our hope on the things of this world. And Paul here says that in order for us to abound in joy and in peace, which I think we all want, he says, it comes in believing upon Jesus Christ. And finally, he says, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Would you categorize yourself as a person that abounds in hope? When people talk about you, do they say, man, that brother, that sister, full of hope? Or do they see a person who's always saying, man, things never go my way, a person who's always complaining, a person who's always thinking, man, things are just not going to work out, or, you know, if I just work hard enough, maybe it'll happen, but maybe it won't. I don't know. I'm just tired of this. Paul's prayer for us is that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we would abound in hope. You see, the, the final thing we see from Paul here is that hope is a way of life for God's people. Hope is a way of life for God's people. And I'm going to conclude with this final text. Colossians 1, 24 through 27. You can turn there with me and we'll end there. Just a little bit over to the right. Colossians 1, 24 through 27. It says this. Now, again, I rejoice in my suffering. Come on, man. For your sake... And in my flesh, I am willing, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to you and to me. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Riches of glory in this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, though it was a mystery back in Genesis 3, who this Messiah was going to be, when he was to come, as we journey through this Advent season, the revelation we have today is that Jesus is our hope. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So as you journey for the next few days and prepare to end the year well, prepare your home for Christmas Eve, prepare for presents, I want you to be reminded that your greatest hope is Jesus. That disappointment is your friend. That disappointment helps you see where you're not placing your hope upon Jesus and that you would take this statement and remind yourself of it daily. Christ in me, the hope of glory. When we are able to do that, then we are able to take the invitation of the Advent season seriously. And what is that invitation? Let me remind you again. It is this. Things are about to speed up for all of us. We have end of year reports, end of year work, end of year things that we're trying to knock out before uh, December 31st. Definitely by the holiday season. Things are going to speed up. And in a season of busyness, the invitation is first to do this, slow down. Take time to slow down, to find time to slow down. Then let's take Paul's word and look to the words of old. Look to the scriptures. Aaron has sent out a, and, uh, some resources for um, Advent devotionals. Take advantage of that. 
If you find yourself hopeless, if you find yourself uh, placing your hope on things of this world and need an exit, slow down and let's make it a priority to be in the word through this season as we prepare for the manger. And let us look to God's promises that he has not forgotten his people and he will save his people. Let's make an intentional effort to spend time in the word with, uh, by ourselves, but also with our families. Third, identify misplaced hopes. If you heard that list and maybe thought, uh, I don't wrestle with any of that. I have perfectly placed my hope in Jesus. Repent, and I can help you do that. But if you have not, if that is not your posture, then maybe think through the list of idols that have taken a, a hold of your heart. Maybe it's comfort, control, power. Maybe it is relief. Or maybe it is you've given up hope all completely. It's okay. In this season, as we journey to the manger, the invitation as we slow down, as we go to the word, as we uh, journey toward the manger in scripture, we identify the misplaced hope. And then it's quite simple. We repent and we believe. That's the good news of the gospel, that we have a faithful Savior who came and was born, who died, and who was resurrected so that when we find this misplaced hope, we can repent and turn to him, cast our fears, cast our anxiety on him, cast our disappointments on him, and he who began the good work will be faithful to complete it in you. Repent and believe by the power of the Spirit. And to end, I simply want to read verse 13 over you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that, by, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this season that uh, you allow us to enter into. Lord, as Christians, uh, many times it feels like the things you ask us to do are counterintuitive to the world that we are in. When the world speeds up, you tell us to slow down. When the world tells us that we can do things on our own, that we don't need anyone, you remind us that actually, no, we do need someone. We need Jesus. We need the church. We need our brothers and sisters to live out what you've called us to live out. When the world tells us to prioritize our happiness, to get rid of toxic people in our lives, you tell us to actually embrace the people that are broken and need to hear the gospel. You actually call us to love on those that don't yet know you. Father God, as we journey toward the manger, I want to pray that you allow us to be people that prepare room in our hearts for you, that we'd be able to truly identify where maybe we've misplaced hope, where we've been disappointed, where things haven't gone our way, where maybe we've even looked up to you and say, Lord, you've disappointed me. And allow us to see beyond that and to see your great plan, your great purpose, and the great hope that we find only in Jesus Christ. And so as we journey over the next few weeks, allow us to be people that are able to slow down, to wait, and to prepare our hearts to truly celebrate the hope that we receive in Jesus Christ, the light of the world. We're grateful, Father God, that we are reminded through your word that you are faithful to your promises and that you are faithful to complete your salvation across the world. Let us be men and women who submit to you, who trust you, and who constantly look to you 